I'm going to call this a public service announcement episode of the Ortho Show podcast. We're bringing on Bruce Gomberg, who's an orthopedic surgeon in private practice up in Maine. He's got a really cool history, i got to tell you. He was an engineering psychologist, which I'm like, I don't know what the hell that means. But the bottom line is he takes a look at the people and interactions with machines, and he developed and engineered airplane cockpits. How cool is that? Then he decides he's going to be an orthopedic surgeon, goes to medical school, has been in practice. But what I'm really excited about for him in particular is he's the director of the Maine Orthopedic Review. So we really talk and we do a deep dive on what it is required for maintenance of certification in orthopedics, all of the various steps, and then also how the Maine Orthopedic Review can help you to prepare. It's really a worthwhile episode, super important for any of our docs that are listening. You're going to like the episode. Dr. Sigmund, hashtag follow the fro. From Medical Media, this is The Ortho Show. Hello world, Dr. Scott Sigmund, again your favorite opioid-sparing orthopedic surgeon here for another episode of the Ortho Show podcast where we bring you the best of the best. I'm looking at this today as like a public service announcement. We're bringing on the one and only Dr. Bruce Gomberg, who's an orthopedic surgeon in private practice who specializes in arthroplasty of the lower extremity. Uh, and he's also the director of the Maine Orthopedic Review, which I'm really excited to share uh, with our listeners so people get to know about this. We're going to talk about the whole process of uh, maintenance of certification and all the stuff you got to do in order to stay board certified. I've screwed it up, so I'm super super happy you're here, Bruce, because you're gonna you're gonna school me on what I need to do going forwards. But how are you, Bruce? Great to have you. I'm on. great. Thanks for having me here, Scott. Oh, it's my pleasure. Always, you know, before we get into the nuts and bolts, we always like to do a little bit of the background. So, where are you from? Are you like the seventh orthopedic surgeon in the family? Are you the first doctor? What do you got for us? I'm the first doctor, real doctor. There you go. I'm the first real doctor. Okay. Uh, Tell it to grew us. Grew up in New York and Philly. Yep. And then started my journey. Awesome. And so when, so, so was it medical school all the way or were you thinking about doing some other stuff? What, what was the deal? So I had kind of a non-traditional path. I, uh, Went through college and then got a uh, master's degree at New Mexico State in uh, engineering psychology and became... Engineering an, psychology, what does that mean? That is, believe it or not, a little-known term that happens to mean math models of how people think and applying them to the design of the human-machine interface. Ah, which is where we're going to get to the designing of cockpits exactly. for airplanes. So, so got a, what a cool story. Tell us about that. So I spent uh, about eight years doing that, uh, specialized in aerospace ergonomics and designed airplane cockpits. And it get was very cool. Get out of town. How, like, like, like when you, who, does, who comes up with that? It's like my mother said you're going to be a doctor or a lawyer. Who says like uh, being a cockpit engineer designer? I, I don't know. I don't, <laughs> I don't know how I fell into that, but it was very exciting. It was a fun time uh, until I decided uh, maybe I should go to medical school. Well, I mean, there probably wasn't as much people interaction, right? I mean, you're, you're an engineer, you're behind a computer, you're drawing stuff out, right? We, I worked in a lab and uh, dealt with equipment. Yeah, so, 
not a lot of per- so like a radiologist just sitting in the basement not talking to patients. So so but literally, I mean, how do you go for to a cockpit engineer designer to wanting to go to medical school? What was the trigger? I just decided I wanted to do something that was a little more people oriented and I wanted to be able to directly help people. That was it. Sip, super like simple. everybody. All right. right. So you get the calling. It's a, you decide you want to be a healer. You're going to go to medical school. Uh, you've got an engineering background. So I'm thinking orthopedics fits in there pretty well, right? As far as, so was it early on orthopedics or were you were not sure? No, I knew right away. And yeah. then the first day in the OR, it yeah, was cemented. That was it. Right, because I mean, there's a lot of engineering stuff, right? Yeah, the absolutely. instrumentation, the design of the implants, you know, all of that stuff requires, you know, some smart people that are not necessarily doing surgery to help figure <laughs> that stuff out. A lot smarter than me. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Right. So, all right, so it's off to medical school, University of Pittsburgh. Right. And from there uh, to residency in West Virginia. WVU, go w- Mountaineers. All right, fantastic. Were you helping take care of the teams at all while you were there, too? A uh, little bit, yeah. Yeah, for yeah. sure. The football team's always a lot of fun down there, for sure. All right, and so then you became, you sort of moved around a little bit, Bruce. You were, <laughs> you know, you made a midlife decision <laughs> yeah. to try and change your careers, which is very unusual. You successfully get through medical school and residency, and now you're moving around. What's going on? So I initially went to Michigan, which was uh, my ex-spouse's hometown, and uh, then the economy takes a dip, and when you're when the auto industry goes down in Michigan, everything goes down. For and sure. uh, most of our friends and family at that point were migrating to New England. Back east, so okay. So I went off to New England. Off to New England. You spent yeah. some time in New Hampshire, and then you wound up in the great state of Maine. Right. right. And you've been there for how long now? Uh, Maine, almost 20 years, yeah. Okay. Do you know the town Holton, Maine? Sure. So I got a Jewish mother and a, and a, a father who's a chemical engineer from MIT who is involved in the sugar industry, sugar refining. And uh, they go up to Holton, Maine for the first year of my life. And it's either mud or it's snow in Holton, Maine, right? It's the, this is like the most northern town. Holton's where it crosses into Canada. And yeah. crosses into yeah. Canada. And where uh, Dysart's truck stop is. All right, so Judy, everybody <laughs> knows my mother, Judy. So Judy's not lasting. Like There's no Bloomingdale's anywhere near the place. <laughs> there's mud and there's snow. So crepes, oh, we lasted there about six months and then we ran out. But that's my story about Holton, Maine. That's what I got. Uh, but now you're up in Maine. You've been there for 20 years at this point. You're in clinical practice. You're doing hip and knee arthroplasty. You're working hard still clinically? Starting to wind down, actually. Okay. Yeah. How old are you now? Uh, Going to be 62. 62. That's about the right time. You know, we had Rick Matson on, uh, who was his episode was released today. Uh, he's 79 years of age and still operating. It's like, that's unusual. That's not going to be me. Yeah, it's a lot of physical toll to the mm, body. People absolutely. don't realize it, right? Absolutely. Surgery, my neck is horrible. I've got arthritis in my thumb. I mean, it's like there's a lot of stuff that you have to go through on the daily grind. I know. I know. I have an unrepairable rotator cuff tear. Well, we could fix that for uh, you, brother. I don't want you to fix it. For All you. right. We'll let it be. We can give you a, we'll give you a little bourbon, and we'll bring you out the, the crew. We'll maybe do it tonight. No, I'm just kidding. All right. So... 
Um, one of the, the, the things that I, I admire about you, uh, very similar to myself, is you have interests outside of clinical practice, and you've made it a passion uh, to, to, to be the director of the Maine Orthopedic Review, and you've been doing that for quite some time, 15 years or so? Yep, this will be my 16th year. All right, so this is a part of the show where I really want to dive in a little bit as to the changes that have happened within certification and maintenance of certification for orthopedics. So I'll tell you a funny story. So uh, this is... I don't know, eight years ago at this point, and I'm re- re- up and for the boards, and I've got no time. Unfortunately, my dear father was passing from cancer. It was my youngest son's bar mitzvah. I had, like, literally all of these life events going on, and yet I had to take the written exam. I go in cold, and I take the written exam, and I joke around all the time because, you know, I was like, Bill Levine's a dear friend of mine. I'm like, Bill must have called somebody at ABOS, the American Board of Orthopedic Surgery, and said, whatever Sigmund's test score is, that's where you're going to set the mark. Because <laughs> I somehow passed. I have no idea how I passed. I got, you know, whatever I did. Uh, but then I screwed up even more. So now I'm good till December 31st of 2028, right? So I've got five years still to go. But I didn't pay attention to the whole MOC thing, and especially um, what is it, the the WLA, the the, the longitudinal web-based longitudinal assessment. So you, and I missed out, and I didn't do it. So let's go through this. What what's the process of somebody getting maintaining their certification? Okay, so this is an interesting thing. About uh, 20 years ago, the board decided. Lifetime certifications out, and people need to recertify. Every Makes 10 sense, years. right? Yeah, you want yeah. want our doctors to know what's going on. Exactly. Keeping up with the times. So they basically made the maintenance of certification and broke it down into four parts. The first part is you have to have good professional standing. You need to be. Uh, you need to own an unrestricted license and have privileges at a facility. So you got to have a license, and you got to have a place to practice. Correct. Uh, Reasonable. The second part is called uh, longitudinal lifetime learning. Yep. Something like that where they have a uh, 120-20 rule, and that means in the 10 years of uh, recertification, the first five years you need to take 120 CME, and of those, 20 need to be self-assessment exam. And then the last five years, 120-20 again. All right. So the bottom line is continuing medical education. We're right. here at Ortho Summit, right? It's a meeting in right. which there are credits that are available. You go to lectures, you sit down, you take the time and energy out of your busy practice to maintain your knowledge, and then you have to have a certain amount of time to do that. Very reasonable. It's like a pilot, right? Exactly. you got to maintain your certification. Exactly. You're going to exactly. fly the plane. We want to make sure you know what you're doing. So that's pretty good. And then we got this WLA thing. Well, you, you, not only the WLA thing, you have three ways you can okay. pass the next part, which okay. is the third category, and that is you have to take some exam. Okay. And that's either the uh, regular exam, the written exam, yep. an oral board exam like the oral boards, yep. or the WLA. And what is the WLAs for our listeners so they really understand this? Okay, so that is the web-based longitudinal assessment, and what that means is... Every year, you have to pick out 15 articles, and you have to take an exam, which means two questions per uh, per article. It's an open book online exam that you take, and you have to uh, get a quality year, which means answering 24 out of 30 correctly for that year, and you have to get five quality years in your 10-year cycle. All right, so it's another way 
of, of continuing education. It's maintaining reading articles, being able to identify the important aspects of the articles, answering these questions. And so it's a way that you don't have to take a written or an oral test. Well, you don't have to do a written test on a computer or do an oral examination. Exactly. If you follow and pass those rules. Exactly. All right, so I screwed that up. Okay. Yeah, it takes, a, t- it takes some commitment to do And that. I tried, and then I didn't have the time, and I went back <laughs> in, and I called him. I said, this is Scott Sigmund. She says, we don't care. You didn't do it. I said, can you please check again? I've got great hair. She still said, no, you can't do it. So I'm stuck. Hard so to believe. W, double, hard to believe. <laughs> so w, w, WLA is out the door. So now I've got an option, right? I've got to either do the written computer examination or the oral. I don't know a lot of people that take the time out. To do the oral, it seems to me like that would be, you know, laborious. But w- so what do you guys do for the main orthopedic review to sort of help people prepare for those two choices? Well, first of all, I want to give you a little bit of advice. Yes, sir. The uh, oral board exam for recertifying orthopedists yes. does not have a great success rate. Okay. So there weren't a lot of people who took them last year. This is 2022 data. Yep. There were 48 or so. Okay. And there was about a 50% failure rate. All right. So not only are you taking time out of clinical practice to prepare for all of this, you got a 50% chance, at least last year, of failing, even though you take the time out to make this happen. Correct. So what? It's very onerous. It's hard. It's difficult. So let's talk about the written test. So what's the pass rate on the written test? Do you happen to know? The general, uh, the, the pass rate for the general test was about 91% in okay. 2022. And it usually hovers between the high 80s and low 90s. Okay. So that's pretty good, right? Yeah. That's, you've got decent chance there. Um, and then there's lots of options for the written test, correct? You can subspecialize or do general? Correct. So tell correct. us about that. I don't know a whole lot about those, but they they used to uh, be that you could choose a mixture of your subspecialty okay. and general. Now they make it just subspecialty based. I see. Uh, the fail the failure rate slightly increased over the general exam, but not not sig- significantly. Significant. All right. So it sounds increased. like for me, because I'm looking at myself in the mirror right now, thinking I got to do this. I'm leaning towards doing the general written computer-based test. And if I go to the main orthopedic review, you're going to help me on the salient points about what I need to be studying to get a good grade. Excellent. We, we do, we've been doing this a long time. This is our 65th year. So uh, for the part one or the written exam, we have five days of lectures. We have unbelievable faculty. We have chairmen like Chuck Cassidy giving lectures on brachial plexus. We have uh, biomechanics gurus like Tim Wright from HSS talking about physics and biomechanics and where. We have uh, uh, just amazing faculty. Eric Smith Chief of Arthroplasty at New England Baptist. We just were on a panel together about an hour and a half ago. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> great guy. Our of course. faculty is accessible. They give great lectures, and and, so, and you can really you can it helps. Yeah, You're, we also have an in-house question bank. Okay. Thousands of questions sure. can help, and that it always helps to just keep doing questions because there's only a 
few ways they can ask about the rotator. That's right. And, that yeah, is. we'll take that one. I'll get that one out of the park as well as the ACL. I'm a little concerned about some of the <laughs> biomechanics and some of the new stuff coming out on the pharmaco- pharmacologic side. But it sounds to me like uh, it's a worthwhile endeavor. And have you seen have 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 you seen an uptick? Have people been missing out on the WLA like me? Did they mess up, or what are you experiencing? Well, I think, you know, there there was a slight uptick because you were in that group of people that had to get five years consecutively. Sure. And that changes now that the first five years of the WLA are gone. So you have to get five quality years in eight years starting now. I see. Uh, but in terms of... Uh, you know how we help people at the main orthopedic review for the people sitting for the oral boards we're the only place you can go and get all 12 of your cases reviewed by that's, subspecialty um, faculty well that's pretty cool so it's, you bring your cases there and they're going to test you as if they were the actual uh, hey. uh the the professor giving the test right. that's interesting right. all right very cool all right so all right I'm, i think i've got one of two choices I either retire December 31st of 2028. Don't do that. Or I take the boards now. And I can do that now if I wanted to, right? Can't you do it in advance of uh, when your final year is? You can do it whenever you want? or Yeah, you can. You have a window of a few years. A few years in, in advance. In 10-year cycle. Yeah, right. all right. And then you've also got to do a case list, if I'm not mistaken, too. The fourth part is a case list you have to submit and a bunch of peer reviews. All right, fantastic. So really seems like a very worthwhile thing for, for the doctors that have been out there in practice for a while who are looking to identify. And how long does the course last? It's a week or? Our course is five days and it's uh, now moved to Endicott College. Yeah, tell us about that. I, my, my second oldest, Mitchell, is a graduate of Endicott. He was a hockey player. Damn, we lost in the semifinals for the Frozen Four senior year. But uh, we know Endicott well. It's a beautiful spot on the planet. Uh, it's certainly accessible to the airports of Boston at this point now, which makes it easier for people to get in. That was our biggest biggest pull to Endicott was we needed to be near a transportation hub, and yeah. now we are. Yeah, that's fantastic. One of the other great reasons for me is my father is buried in a small cemetery literally right next to Endicott. So I'll have a couple of reasons to go up and do the course and also say hi to my father as well. I love it. Listen, Bruce, this is fantastic. Um, We really appreciate all of the energy and time and commitment that you do for orthopedic education outside of your clinical practice. Uh, I know that, you know, it's got to be passion and and to be able to help and share. So we greatly appreciate all of your efforts. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Thanks for doing what you do. Yeah, it's my pleasure, Bruce. This is Dr. Scott Sigmund, hashtag follow the fro, host of the Ortho Show. Till next time.